Welcome to the Your Health, Your Way podcast, the health podcast for renegades. I'm Martha, a family nurse practitioner and the creator of the website, therenegadenp.com. I have over 10 years of clinical experience helping patients heal their bodies and feel their best. I'm here to share actionable information about integrative health, nutrition, and fitness that can get you started on your journey to optimal wellness. I'm also here to answer your questions and talk with health and wellness experts. Remember that the materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. In this episode, I want to talk about sleep and stress and how those two things are very closely linked together. And I want to touch on being stressed about stress because that's something that I keep hearing about. And I think we, meaning people in the world of health and wellness, have taken an interesting turn with an increased focus on managing stress. And then people get stressed because they're worried about how they're going to manage their stress. And being stressed about stress and stress relief is almost as bad as just being stressed in the first place. The last couple of episodes have had a heavy emphasis on stress because we're in the middle of the holiday season and also because we're in the midst of a pandemic. So stress and emotions are extra high this year. If you're listening to this in the future, I'm recording this episode at the end of November in 2020, and I know a lot of places have just gone back to shelter-in-place orders or some variation of that, which brings a lot of emotions and stress. So we're going to keep talking about it. So sleep and stress. I want to talk about how these things are both affected by the other because I think that's important and there are a lot of things that you can work on in both areas if you're having trouble with one or the other. It's estimated that almost 40% of Americans are not getting enough sleep, and enough sleep is defined as seven to nine hours per night. So if you're not getting at least seven hours of sleep, then this is definitely something that you need to work on. There are a lot of reasons for poor sleep, but one of the most common ones is stress. Stress can make it take a long time for you to fall asleep. It can prevent you from getting enough deep sleep. It can cause you to fall asleep easily, but then wake up in the middle of the night and have a hard time getting back to sleep. And it can even cause you to get a second wind late at night, which makes it difficult for you to wind down and go to sleep. The flip side of this is that then not getting enough sleep magnifies your stress response. So your body starts to produce more stress hormones than it would if you were getting adequate sleep. So you can see that this turns into yet another one of those vicious cycle situations where it's hard to know what is causing what or where to start when you want to fix it. One thing I want to make sure to point out is that, and I think I say this every time I talk about stress, but it's really important. Your body doesn't know the difference between a physical stressor, so something like working out too hard or too much, a chemical stressor, or a psychological stressor. And you might not be aware of the fact that stress is impacting your sleep cycles because you might not be aware that there is a stressor. If you're working out too much and what defines too much is different for everyone, but if you've increased the volume or intensity of your workouts and aren't allowing adequate recovery time or you aren't eating enough to meet the needs of your workout, then your body might feel stressed even though you don't feel stressed. So if you have disrupted sleep, but you don't feel like you're stressed, but you're working out a lot or your workout routines have changed, then this is something to consider um, maybe scaling back or trying a different kind of workout and see how that impacts your sleep. All that to say, if you're experiencing suboptimal sleep, you can work on the stress piece to fix the sleep and vice versa. It really just depends on how the issue is manifesting in your life, but it's better to have a more comprehensive approach that looks at how sleep and stress are connected. So how can you fix the sleep piece? 
One of the simplest things to do is to make sure that you are sleeping on a routine. And this means having a set bedtime because it's not just about having enough time asleep in bed to get your seven to nine hours of sleep before your alarm goes off. Your body's circadian rhythm likes to know what time it is so it can prioritize the appropriate functions There are a lot of processes that happen in your body when you're sleeping. So not sleeping on a consistent schedule disrupts your sleep quality simply because your body can't predict when it needs to start secreting melatonin so that you can go to sleep or when it needs to start secreting cortisol so that you can wake up. So be sure to go to bed within the same 20 to 30 minute window every night. Even if you aren't getting to bed in enough time to get adequate sleep every night, step one is absolutely still to solidify that time so that you aren't sometimes going to bed at 10 p.m. and then sometimes at midnight. Once you're able to do that, slowly back up your bedtime so that you can get enough sleep. I usually recommend doing this in 15-minute increments every few days to a week or so because if you need to go to bed at 10 p.m. and you're used to going to bed at midnight and you suddenly get in bed at 10 p.m., you're going to have trouble falling asleep. So the 15-minute increments aren't necessarily enough to disrupt your consistent bedtime window of 20 to 30 minutes, and it's not a huge shock to your system like trying to go to bed two hours earlier would be. But if you think you can just change your bedtime, by all means, go for it. The idea is that... When your body knows that bedtime is coming, it knows to prepare for it. And sleep quality is driven by the pattern of hormones that regulate circadian rhythm throughout the day. So consistency is really important. Shift work makes this really hard, but do the best you can if that's your situation. I don't know of any data that looks at consistent bedtime for shift workers, which that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, but I just haven't looked at it. Um, But my thought is that having one bedtime for when you're working and one bedtime for when you're off. Your brain might have a little bit of trouble switching between the two, but the more consistent you can keep your sleep-wake cycle overall, the better off you'll be. I worked night shift for several years, so I know how hard this is, and really just do the best you can. Also, in the current situation, where a lot of people are home with their kids every day, it's not something that's super structured like it would be if you were going to work or the kids were going to school. Having this schedule of a consistent bedtime and a consistent wake-up time is even more important, even though it's harder. It's hard to remember that every day right now is not a Friday or a Saturday, so aim to maintain a consistent sleep-wake schedule because this will help to tame the chaos during the day. Not getting enough sleep or being off of your schedule can snowball, so even though it feels fun to stay up late on a weeknight because you know you don't have to get up early the next morning, remember that it actually makes the next day harder even if you're not tired. Another important part of getting good sleep is making sure to get sunlight exposure during the day. So make sure that you're getting outside time at some point during your day, and this can be challenging depending on where you live. Also, this does not mean that if it's not sunny outside, this isn't important. I mean, outside time in daylight hours. I live in Alaska, where we currently have just over six hours of daylight right now, and my best advice for any of my patients who have moved here from other places and want to know how to deal with darkness has always been to make sure that you get outside when it's light outside as often as you can. If you live somewhere where light is hard to find during this time of year, you can get a light therapy light. You want to make sure that it's at least 10,000 lux. Um, The quality of the light doesn't necessarily matter. They can be um, super cheap or really expensive. So you just, the key is making sure that it's at least 10,000 lux because that simulates the intensity of the light from the sun. 
So you want to use it for 15 to 30 minutes and make sure that it's about one to two feet away from your face, but not straight in your eyes. And you want to make sure to do this at the same time every day. I've always been under the impression that it's more important to get this kind of light exposure in the morning when you get up, but actually the current data shows that there's no huge difference between morning and afternoon use as long as you're using it in the first half of the day. I always used to tell people to make sure that they got daylight outside, not through a window, on their eyeballs in the morning as soon as they could once it got light outside. But this, uh, the current data says that that is not as important as getting light on your eyeballs at some point during the day. So just make sure that you're doing this sometime before noon or so. On the opposite side of this, in the evening, light should be dim. I usually recommend amber tinted glasses or blue light blockers if you need to use screens in the evening or if you're in a place where you can't dim the lights. You want to set an alarm on your phone for about two hours before bed and then put on the glasses. Um, Also, you want to try to turn out as many lights as you can. So rather than having all the overhead lights on in your house, maybe just have a lamp in in the corner of your living room on. Using blue light blocking glasses is a strategy that I use in the summertime where we have the opposite problem of it is light all the time. So we end up with 20 hours or more of daylight, which can make it really hard to get a good night's sleep. So in the summer, I just put my blue light blockers on around 7 p.m. so my brain can get ready for sleep. And actually, this might be something that's helpful for shift workers. So if you can, you can just wear your blue light blockers overnight at work if you're inside with the lights on. I've actually done this while traveling overnight or during hours that I'm supposed to be sleeping. And I do think that it's helped me to have less jet lag and adjust to a new time zone more easily. Melatonin is another thing that can be helpful with sleep, but I would absolutely only use this as a short-term tool to get your sleep back on track while you're also doing these other things. It should not be something that you just do by itself. When looking for a melatonin supplement, you want to make sure to get one that is about one milligram or less. And this has to do with how much melatonin your body makes on its own. So 0.3 to 0.5 milligrams is considered a physiologic dose, and that's ideal, but you could go up to um, about one milligram and still get good results. I've actually had patients come to me on 10 plus milligrams of melatonin and tell me that it doesn't work. And they are super shocked when they go down to about half a milligram and it ends up working really well. Because this goes against the idea that if a little bit is good, then more is better or more will work better or more will make the effect more profound. And that's actually not the case with melatonin. So you want to go from 0.3 milligrams um, only up to about one milligram or whatever you can find in that dose range. Make sure you take it no more than about 30 minutes before you go to bed. And you want to avoid long acting because that's not how your body secretes it. So it doesn't work as well if it's a long acting formula. If you wake up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep and it's more than four hours before you need to get up, you could also reach for some melatonin there. If it's less than four hours before you get up, you will just end up with a melatonin hangover and start your day feeling groggy, which is not great. So moving on more to the stress management piece, In addition to all of the things that we've talked about on the past couple episodes of this podcast, here are some other things that you can do. Probably the easiest thing to do is to just make sure that you take a couple of breaks over the course of the day to empty your brain. So the good option in this category would be to find two or three times per day where you could just stop and take some big deep breaths. Just try to clear your brain and enjoy a moment of quiet with your breathing. 
the better option is to find 10 or 15 minutes a day to meditate. But I realize that that's not necessarily something that feels accessible to everybody. So any of those options are great. Um, if all you can do is find a couple of times per day to take some deep breaths, that is better than nothing. Also, having some playtime, a dance party, or just doing something silly. If you have kids at home, you can, you know, run around the backyard with them. You could run around the backyard with your dog. You could run around the backyard by yourself. Um, anything that gives your brain a little bit of a break and breaks up the day. Social connection is also incredibly important in how we perceive stress. And remember, in this time of shelter-in-place orders, physical isolation does not need to mean social isolation. And I know that it doesn't feel that way. It just takes a little bit more thought and intention to make it happen in the current climate. You can use whatever tools you have. So phone calls, FaceTime, Zoom, go for a walk outside with a friend, get creative. But remember that just because you are physically isolated does not mean that you need to be socially isolated. There are ways to have socialization and be safe about it. Some other actions that you can take that support both sleep and help to manage stress are avoiding caffeine in the afternoons. So anytime depending on how you're, how you are affected by caffeine. Um, noon might be when you need to stop or some people can stop a little bit later. But if you're drinking caffeine late in the day and you're having trouble sleeping, definitely try to stop that earlier. You also might want to consider stopping eating two hours, at least two hours before bed. And I want to be really clear that this is not about the idea that eating before bed is bad for you because that is not it. But it does increase your metabolism, which can make it difficult to sleep. So if you're hungry before bed, please eat. But if you have trouble sleeping, experiment with not eating within two hours of your bedtime and see if that changes anything. You also want to make sure that you're getting enough vitamin D because vitamin D levels have an impact on stress, mental health, sleep quality, and energy levels. The best way to get vitamin D is to expose your bare skin to sun for about 10 to 30 minutes per day. Make sure that you uh, are not getting a sunburn when you do this. I've got a whole podcast episode about this, but if it's winter where you live, but if it's winter and you live somewhere north of the line that connects San Francisco and Richmond, Virginia, you'll probably need to supplement. I do also recommend getting your vitamin D levels checked periodically to make sure that you're actually getting enough. Exercise is also good for supporting both sleep quality and managing stress. Right now, anything you can do, walking outside, just having outside time, at-home workouts, anything like that, don't overcomplicate it. Just find a way to move your body. And then a social media or screen detox is also a good idea. It's likely that you've been spending more time looking at a screen recently, and you don't have to do a month-long detox for this to be effective. Even just a few hours a day or a week at a time could do you some good. I realize that it's impossible to not look at your screen for a week, but really be intentional about when you're using your screens if this is something that you want to do. Um, and Keep in mind that if you don't feel like you can do it for a long period of time, even just having two screen-free hours a day or something like that could be really effective in managing how your body reacts to stress. Okay, so now that we've talked about supporting sleep quality and managing your stress, let's talk about being stressed about stress. Because something that happens when people become aware of stress and how it can impact their health is that they feel like they have to get rid of it quickly, which makes them even more stressed. So first of all, Please do not get stressed about your stress. This does not do anyone any good. If you have a lot of stress in your life or you're at a time of increased stress, know that you absolutely cannot get a handle on it overnight. You have to take the time to handle it just a little bit at a time. Start by implementing any one of the strategies I've already talked about. And once that feels easy, add another one. A lot of times feeling stressed 
about stress is also due to just having a lot of stuff in your head and not being able to get it out. You know how your thoughts just start to pile up on each other and you think, oh, I've got to remember this and oh, how am I going to remember to go do that? And that kind of cycle goes on and on. So write it down, do a brain dump of all the things in your head, write down when it's going to get done, how it's going to get done, and any other piece of that that you need to get it out of your brain. And a lot of the time when you feel like there is so much to be done and you just write it all down, you realize that it's not actually that much. And it was just because you were trying to hold it all in your brain at the same time that it was feeling problematic. This can also happen a lot during the holidays. So did you take on too much? Did you say yes to too many things? In other years, the idea of traveling during the holidays could create stress, and then you feel stressed about feeling stressed. Did you volunteer to host a whole meal for your family on top of all of the other things that you have going on? If you're struggling with this saying yes to too many things, go back and listen to the episode a couple of weeks ago where I talked about setting boundaries. I believe it's episode number 44, because that's maybe not the easiest thing to do, but it is definitely something that is incredibly effective at helping to decrease your stress. I really think that first understanding why you're feeling stressed is important and then knowing that you can't do all the things at once to fix it. You have to just do small things to change your response and chip away at it um, and chip away at the things that are causing it. And look, I know that telling you not to be stressed about your stress isn't really the most helpful thing, but that's really the most effective thing to do. If you're trying to fix it all at once, that is not sustainable. It's better to take small steps towards getting the things that are causing your stress under control. All right, so that's it for today. If you missed the last few episodes, definitely go back and listen to those because some of what I talked about today uh, definitely builds on some of those concepts that I've already talked about. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. 